1: Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.
2: Put your bags down and pull up a seat. You are listening to Stay A While the podcast with Tommy Vincent. We
1: could talk loud, we could smile, keep it real, and it's all good.
3: Yeah.
2: Wherever you are, pull up a seat to the table where we not only serve food for the soul, but provide you with the key ingredients to embracing your true, authentic self. Today, we're leaning in at the table to level up and gain the courage to shed the people, places, and things that no longer serve us. Look, growth is a natural part of life, but that does not mean that it comes easy. Throughout the journey, people come into our lives for seasons, some short, others long. So what do you do when it's time to move beyond your current season and leave some relationships in the past? And how do you identify what relationships are serving you well and which aren't? But most importantly, how do you find the courage to separate when you're not ready? Special guest Brianna K. Parker takes her seat at the table to explore why we all should push past the fear and do what's best for us. Brianna Parker. I actually was on a um, show, uh, Mask for the People, and she was one of the co-host. And Bree, she she just was she just had this wonderful personality. And in that conversation, there was a connection. Like in all the things we were discussing in that conversation, she and I just kept locking into one another and almost having these separate conversations, conversations within the full conversation. And I enjoyed her company and I love to laugh. I love to be around people who love to laugh because I believe that we should be enjoying life. And even though the subject matter that we were discussing was a serious one, making sure that people everywhere had access to PPE and masks during this time of the pandemic. Our ability to cut through some of that and bring joy into the conversation left an impression on me. And so I know there's a lot of substance there in the work that she's doing within her body of work. It's value to other people, but recognizing that the platform for Stay A While, the podcast is getting women to the table who have accomplishments, who have accolades, who are everyday women. But being able to tap into that person and giving them space to show up at the table, I believe that Brie is going to bring an element to the conversation that's going to be refreshing, that's going to be powerful, and that's going to be impactful. And so I wanted to make sure that she had a seat at the table. Thank you so much today Brianna for taking your seat at the table. I'm going to just share some of Brianna's background so you get an idea of who she is and the power that abides in this magnificent woman. The Reverend Dr. Brianna K. Parker, known as Rev Bree, is a highly sought-after preacher, public speaker, millennial engagement coach, and ministry consultant. She is a curator and founder of the Black Millennial Cafe, a suite of services to improve outreach to the millennials. She lectures and presents empirical data on Black millennials and faith nationwide. Now I have to tell you, when I was prepping for the show, uh, my son Tanner, he actually takes care of of all of the audio. And we started talking about um Gen Z cuz he's a Gen Zer. And I was wondering, okay, now that we ha- there's been this emergence and I'm we're going to get on topic, but I want to ask this because I told Tanner I would. Um <laughs> now that we've been through okay. this cycle and this year has proven that the Gen Z generation has something to say. In your work, have there been any adjustments or pivots to bring something to the table to understand that demographic as well?
1: Yeah, tons. So we started the Black Millennial Cafe because in my doctoral work, that's what I studied. I was the only researcher in the country to hold that type of data. So um, I did the Black Millennial Cafe and everybody's like, what are you going to do? Like the millennials aren't hot anymore, but it's not the actual, it's my DBA. So I quickly realized we had to do um, more research for everybody because That every type of black demographic that needed positive data, we couldn't find it. And so we expanded pretty shortly after beginning. And so, yeah, um, I'm the lead researcher for the State of the Black Church Study. And we actually have done a good amount of work with Gen Z. The only problem is that Gen Z by age, it's like you can only get the adults, and that's about five years at Mm. the very top of the generation. But we're learning a lot about them. They're gonna be very independent. They are usually going to be on the fringes of things. You'll see them more as entrepreneurs. You'll see them politically independent. Um, They will be connected to a church. They'll participate in the way they want to, but it won't be like traditional membership where, you know, you go on Sunday, you go on Wednesday, you participate in the ministry. It won't really be like that. Um, They'll be givers, but they'll give to causes a lot more than we've even seen happening in churches now. It won't be so much a tithe, but it'll be, hey, I want to make sure I'm making an impact. So we are getting to see something about Gen Z. It's just we kind of got to wait for them to grow up because I believe the youngest Gen Z person right now is five years old, five mm-hmm. or seven. And so we have to wait a little time before we can write books and things like that. Although a lot of people are rushing to the table to write a book we have to wait a little while before we do that, but we are trying to release as much information as we can so that people can kind of get a handle on it. Cause what I learned when I was studying millennials is I would go and try to talk about churches and organizations and politics and there would be parents in the audience crying. Like I get to understand my child better now. Like I know you're doing it for organizations, but as a parent, this helps. And so we're trying to get ahead of it or at least stay on top of it so that we can make sure Gen Z's get to see who they're, kind of like farming, you know, to be. And parents get to kind of see, hey, you're not alone. This is just what this generation is coming with. They're an amazing generation too, by the way. You can be, you know, on the fringes, you can be independent, but they're still amazing. They have so much passion. They believe that, you know, they can conquer anything. And I mean, what absolutely. can you I love about that type of generation?
2: No, absolutely. I have uh, my twins, they're 15, and they are Gen Zers. And actually my son Tanner is going to be doing an internship with the advancement project. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely like all about making a difference and making an impact in what he does. And he does not um, mince his words. He knows yeah. what he thinks. He knows what he believes. And if you are doing anything that is impeding someone from becoming and, and being embraced for who they are, he Look, he done done the research, he done read the books, and he (laughs) is prepared to talk with you and have a discussion with you. But if you are not even in the ballpark of truth, he will not waste his time. He's like, Okay, (laughs) now you need to go do some more reading or something before we have this conversation.
1: I love it. (laughs) But anyhow. Our futures in good hands, you know?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's let's get into a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Let's talk about some food.
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) Let's get into this food. So what food best describes your personality and why?
1: I would probably say, okay, maybe this is what I want to believe. (laughs) (laughs) I would say macaroni and cheese. And I would say that because you know, it's something that we like, I believe everyone loves and everyone doesn't love it. Like, you know, and when, when someone's <laughs> like, I don't really like macaroni, it's like, what? What happened to your life? Why don't you like it? You know, it's kind of that type of situation. And so sometimes I forget that I'm a little like Tanner, right? I don't really miss my words. And so I'm like, really? I been... Oh my gosh, what happened? And then I think, you know, when I make my macaroni and cheese and you know, I try to do different cheeses and then I try to do like some type of Mexican cheese so that it has a little bit of a kick to it. And, you know, I think I'm pretty smooth most times. And every now and then, you know, you get a little bit of a kick that you didn't (laughs) expect there. So I would say, yeah, macaroni and cheese.
2: Okay. Mac and cheese. I love mac and cheese. Everybody around this place loves mac and cheese. So it's a good dish. Um, Name one recipe that is special to you and why.
1: It would probably be become Praline because mm-hmm. my dad is from Pineville, Louisiana. And my grandmother is kind of like Madea, um, mm-hmm. like Tyler Perry's Madea. She was wild. And I mean, like real wild, like <laughs> vulgar mouth, you know? Like, I remember I was in first grade and she told me to tell the teacher she was going to kick her, you know what? Like, <laughs> she was like, you tell her, I am coming there to kick her. And so I was going to tell her, I'm going to say, you better not tell your you know teacher what your grandpa what your grandmother said and i was like okay i promise. but um so when i got a little older when i got to college mm, maybe late high school early college we started talking every week and that was very different for us because i just thought my grandma was just kind of wild and like she would stay over in her you know area and come to town but when we developed the relationship every saturday she would give me a recipe because she was mm. a fabulous cook and the best bake, baker you would ever meet. And so she would give me a recipe every week. And when she died, I didn't tell my family that I was collecting these recipes. And so one time I decided that I was going to do Become Praline. And so I did them like the hard and the soft. And everybody mm-hmm. said, oh, this is my Dorothy's," And that meant everything <laughs> to me. So that's definitely what I cherish. I rarely make it because it's, it, it actually makes me pretty emotional. but. Yeah. You know, like maybe
4: once or twice a year, I'll make some. Mm-hmm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is safe. It's a place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For example, it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who experience major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online.
5: leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit paramountplus.com slash the shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th subscription auto renews restrictions apply.
2: Yeah, I could definitely see how that would, you know, it's a, the connection, the love it's real. And that's yeah. the amazing thing about food. Food can transport you from now to a period of time that has passed, but literally put you in the moment and put you in the presence of the people that you love so dearly. And so I'm so grateful that your grandmother shared those recipes with you because as long as you're alive and you start sharing those recipes with, with generations to come, they will know her too. And so that's, that's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Um, Name a time in your life where food was actually healing for your soul
1: my sister died so I only had one sister um Mm -hmm. my siblings um I never know whether I should say are or were twins um and so my older sister is deceased she's seven years older than me and I remember when she died I would bake like up a storm Mm -hmm. and I couldn't keep any weight you know I was grieving and super depressed um and so for those first two months I got into a near fatal accident two months after I eulogized my only sister. But for those two months, that's like literally all I had. I could come home on a lunch break. And of course, then when I was taking too long of a lunch break and I would like <laughs> come home and bake a cake or something like that. And I would just be finding people to give food to because I really couldn't eat it. I just really needed to be there. And so my sister, when we went to clean up her apartment after she died, um, we found um, a mixer a stand mixer that I would mm-hmm. use, and a couple of like different, like you know, weird or cute uh, cupcake pans, mm-hmm. and a, and a small TV that we decided to keep. So the small TV was in my kitchen, and I would bake with her um, tools. And it's so funny because I told you I've been having work done on my home, and I finally, for the first time in seven years, almost eight, took the TV out of my kitchen. And right now I just don't really know what to do with it or how to part with it. So I put it in my like um, guest bedroom, but it's one of those things that it just took me forever to get past it. And so it was hard for me. I have a KitchenAid mixer, but I was using my sister's like different like brand stand mixer because I just couldn't, I couldn't part with her.
3: Mhm.
2: Yeah. yeah, that, um once again it's it's that power in the food and the connection that we have with it it is when when I say magical, not like some like
3: ooh, type of situation <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
2: but th- there's a there's a property about food that is it just really is food for the soul, yeah. like on a deeper level, you know mm-hmm. that just really has this way of making everything all better. And Mm -hmm. so I know even in our household here in Vincent country, anytime there is something challenging before us, you know, it could be a struggle that we're having as individuals, or it could be a collective community type of struggle that we're having in our household. I'm always compelled to go into the kitchen and to provide nourishment for my family Mm -hmm because I want to be able to pour, in the, pour into them life yeah. so that they're not depleted of that space of love that we have for one another. So Absolutely. I can I can relate um, to that on I the level I wish of- I,
3: was
1: a, I wish I was a Vincent sometimes though, because I look at that food and I'm like, I, tell me why I'm not at your
3: house? Like,
1: <laughs> why am I not there? Why am I looking at this on social media right now? But then I'm like, it's COVID anyway, just be all right with it.
3: (laughs) Yes,
2: we'll have an opportunity to get together and break bread. And I will, I promise you, make you something to eat, make you a meal and make it all better. Make it all better, girl.
1: Amen. I need it. I need it.
2: Okay, so let's get into the meat of our conversation. And our theme for today is unequally yoked finding the courage to shed relationships that no longer serve you. This topic is, and and I'm sure that this impacts other races as well. But I know as a black woman growing up in a black family, we are judged. We are made to feel guilty for even confronting relationships that aren't doing right by us, oh yeah, and we you know are made to feel like you don't have an option. Mm-hmm. This person is your x, your y, your z, and we don't get to choose our family, so you right. stuck with this person for for your life. Mm-hmm. I know they did this, but hey, let's wipe the slate clean and move forward mm-hmm. so I, so this topic for me is personal. I have experience in it. Um, And I also know that if people can recognize and understand how important it is to have a healthy well-being for themselves and that it's okay to have lines of demarcations in relationships, that it will truly make a difference in their own well-being, their health, literally their health will improve just by being able to do that. So my first question for you is, how do you define healthy relationships?
1: Healthy relationships add more than they take away. Um, um, Healthy relationships are something, if I can take a relationship, this is going to sound weird, so I'll explain, before God. And I can be confident that if I prayed for all things that did not serve me well or were negative or did not honor God would be taken away. If I have confidence that could re- confidence that could remain, that's a healthy relationship. And I say that because there have been so many times when I was, I would say I was confused about mm-hmm. whether or not a relationship was healthy or not. But the fact that I refused to take it before God said that, like in my heart of heart, I knew that it couldn't honor God, which meant it couldn't remain. And I just wanted to delay the process of knowing that truth. And so I, I always try to think, like, does this honor God? You know, even my part in it, you know, does it honor God? If someone looked at it, would they be like, not, not relationship goals, like I want to be that. But like when I look at what the Bible says about love or fruit of the spirit, you know, then I know this is what I'm seeing. and. Anytime that's not true. And I mean, I have literally, Tommy before, gone through the checklist. Like, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not <laughs> breaking the wrongdoing. You know, like, you know, the fruit of the spirit is love. You know, like, joy. Like, I've literally done checklists and said, this ain't it. hmm You know? Like, I, I know it serves you. And I think the problem is that sometimes our balance is off in an unhealthy relationship. Mm -hmm. You know? And so something is so good or so much better than another situation that we think that's so valuable is worth keeping. So Mm -hmm. something that's healthy has to be like a good balance, something that's holistic, something that I can take before God, something that if all the covers were unveiled, I could still be proud of, Um, that it still looked like the Brianna I wanted people to believe, you know, I was. Mm-hmm. And and I'll never forget there was one relationship I walked away from. And it took me a long time. And I used to always say, it was with the guy, I used to always say, I'm not proud of this person. Mm. This is not what I would ever advise anyone to be in. Like I would be embarrassed for someone to believe that I somehow ended up in something like this. I can't do this because it's not authentic it's become authentic in our world, but it's not authentic to who I am. Like yeah. this is our state of being because it's comfortable for you. It's not what's comfortable <laughs> and authentic to Brianna as a person. And so if the covers can't come off and I can like legitimately be proud of it, even the bumps, you know, like it may not have been perfect, but there's a reason I'm here or this has happened or God still, honor-, if I can't do that,
2: it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. When you identify a toxic relationship, do you invest in making it better? A romantic relationship is one thing. You know, a relationship that you're involved in where that person does is not a permanent fixture in your life. Right. Okay. But what relationships qualify that you would be willing to invest to make it better? So just say it's a family member
3: mm-hmm.
2: and you're in that relationship and you recognize it's toxic. How do you determine that the investment will serve you well here?
1: When the person is willing to make it better with me,
2: mm. you
1: know, like that's good. You know, I, I saw somebody say on social media, like I'm not like Michelle Obama. When you go low, I go lower. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I match their energy, you know, I go shoddy low, low, you know, like, So I kind of feel like it's only so low I'm going to go with you. So we can rise together. We can't fall together. So if I feel like we are moving up or moving toward or we're progressing, then we're good. Mm -hmm. If that's not happening, tell me, I realize. So my sister's deceased. um, My bonus dad is deceased. I'm pretty clear I can live without anybody. It's just. I didn't know that before they died. I'm very clear about it now. I don't want to live without my mom, but, you know, I mean, if, if it was crazy, I think I could even let that go now, like at this point in my life. And so I probably wouldn't be willing for family, right, to to close the door. I'm a Real Housewives of Atlanta fan, so, you know, like, <laughs> that door is closed. That door is closed. Like, so no closing doors completely, you know? But... I can walk away from anything and I've had to. You know, my dad has been toxic before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh no, friend, we're not gonna do that. <laughs> we're not gonna be living like this. Like, uh, you gotta go find the person you can talk to like this. You know, like this does not work for Brianna. And it only got to that place because at first he would talk crazy, I would talk crazy. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you yell, let me yell. You know, you hang up, don't you worry, I'm gonna wait a couple of days so I know you're gonna answer me. I'm gonna start this conversation right back up and I'm gonna hang up this time on you. You know, it was just crazy. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's so crazy because I never would have imagined like doing this. Like, you don't go tip for tat with your daddy. You know, like I'm a Southern girl. Like we don't do this. But then I matured enough and I was done with him. We probably didn't really talk much for two to three years, maybe. I mean, he'd be like, hey, how you doing? Like if I would see him, if I was at my sister's house, but that was it. And then my sister died. When my sister died, it was just this look in his eye, you know, like, uh, because my sister was his favorite. I don't, that doesn't bother me. She just was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I knew he was, he had an empty place. And so I gave him a chance to come back and feel it, you know, like, do you want to do better by this? And so, you know, at first it was very superficial, you know, like, hey, you want to go to lunch? And it was just kind of whack, you know? And then we get to the point where he said something to me and I just went in, like, You haven't loved me well. I would never in my life let a man treat me the way you treat me. If any man in my life talked to me the way you did, you'd be ready to shoot him. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm going to take what you taught me as a woman and be the woman I need to be before you and tell you this will not happen. And, you know, at first he was like, that's what's wrong with you. It's your mouth. You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, you know, we had to go back and forth for a little while until he realized it's just a standard for my life. And you mm-hmm. taught me this standard. So now you have to honor what you've taught, you know. So, I mean, I've done it before. I'm not willing to ever completely close the door, mm-hmm. but I will take a break. So, I mean, I've done it a number of times. It's just. I haven't had a situation where the door is completely closed.
0: Mm hmm.
5: Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.
6: Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practice. off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.
2: I am a door closer. Um, I am definitely a door closer and I've become a door closer as a result of my experience with not closing the door. Okay. With being in pass. relationships that are charged with loving me and because of the nostalgia and that familiar spirit you allow for time to go by and you know time doesn't heal wounds God heals wounds in time yeah and so the time would go by and we never had a conversation to address what needed to be addressed it essentially was swept under the rug and then everybody emerges like nothing ever happened. Yeah. So there was no healing. There was no forgiveness. There was no, you know, apologies or anything to that nature. And then you keep moving forward and then something happens again. And it's like, how many times am I going to subject myself to abuse? Abuse yeah. is not just in a romantic relationship, but family members abuse you as well. And it's Absolutely. a conditioning. And if we don't, um, if we don't have enough value for ourselves, people treat us the way that we allow for them to treat us. Absolutely. And so for me, what I realized I was why I kept would keep going back and forth was because I was misinterpreting forgiveness. And okay. yeah. for okay. me the forgiveness was okay if I forget if I'm saying I forgive you then that means then you you can come back into my life and Mm -hmm. we're moving forward from that point. What Mm -hmm. I Mm realized that in order for me to forgive, I have to also be able to maintain my deliverance. And so if the relationship is in my life and every time I see you, every time we have a conversation, it brings all of that back to me yeah. then i'm pu- i'm going back down into the pit that you dragged me in and right. so in order for me to forgive people that i love it's necessary for me to love them from a distance
1: oh no i'm with you because i
2: genuinely i desire to love my family i truly do and in order for me to do that i have to be away from from yeah. that that part of my life So that I can move forward and I can love my children without bringing that trash in and pouring it on them. And I can also feel good about who I am and the decisions I'm making and also teaching my children that it's okay. I don't care who it is. When you have to create a line of demarcation, when you have to draw a line in the sand, there is no respect to person. You yeah. do what's necessary to ensure that you're thriving in life and that you are becoming all that you are capable of becoming. Otherwise, yeah. what is the point of your life? You know, why right. stay stuck stagnant as a result of toxic relationships? I don't care who you are. I don't yeah. care what you did back for me back in 1980. I don't mm-hmm. care what you did. Tell you. Yeah, because they'll let you know.
3: Mm-hmm. And so
2: uh, I have reached this place in my life, and it was as a result of my experience and going back, and literally not just scabs coming off, but like the knives coming back out and just ripping back through my body. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, how do you ever heal?
1: Yeah, you don't.
2: You it, it's you it's time. impossible. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, no. I do believe that some doors should be left closed, you know? And I think, you know, the difference in somebody who's made some progress and somebody who's just like, suck it up, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing a the theme of suck it up in my life. And I said, you know, like, what, what, what did you show these people? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why is it that they think that this is acceptable? And, you know, you search because they tell you like search and see what you know what you've done to attract people. And I'm like, there are people who are bad. There are people who are users. There are people who are abusive. And maybe it's not the pattern of what you are attracted to. Maybe it's that they see something in you that attracts them. And it's okay Mm -hmm. because. You keep telling them no. You can keep putting them out your life. You know what I mean? You can keep closing doors. But I totally know what you mean. I, I can list three people in my life right now who the door is super glued. And <laughs> I, would be able, I would have to be able to see through the wooden door that they progressed. And we know that can't happen because we just had too many instances. Mm-hmm. You know, And you totally treat t- teach people how to treat you. And it's so sad that the more... I hate to say it this way, but for some people, the more grace you give them, the more foolish they're going to act with you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there are times when I'm thinking to myself, okay, one time I get it. They should have never had a second or third time. You know, like that just made them rotten. You know, it just made them worse than they ever were before. And so I totally get closing that door. And it really is an example. It's an example for the people around you. And if I'm honest, my mother, is super loving. She's tough, but she's soft too, Mm -hmm. you know? And so she'll be like, oh no, and I'm not going to do this, 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 and that. And then she's like, well, what what am I going to do? I mean, who else do they have? And I I think I developed that. And then when I would want to walk away, she would tell me that, like, you know what? You never know when your last time is. You know. Now I'm able to say, I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. If that was my last time talking to him, it will be okay. Or she'll be like, you should go see this person there in the hospital. I'm like, it's just too much for me. And she's like, I know, but you know, you just never know. And what if it's your life? To God be the glory, you should probably go see him because that's going to hurt your heart. It's not hurting my heart. You know what I mean? Like, we good over here in holiness, you know? Like, don't worry about me. I'm going to be all right. And so we do, we do have patterns. And my pattern was like, like my mom, like be really tough and firm and then fold whenever it seems like somebody needs you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Fear can often be a driver to stay in circumstances, whatever the circumstances that no longer serves us well. Have you ever experienced a situation where fear drove you to stay around longer than you know you should have? And how did you recognize that it was the fear that had become your kryptonite in that situation?
1: Yeah. Um, professionally I had a situation like that of course you know I've worked for churches and so you know you're not just working for a CEO you're usually working for your pastor mm-hmm. or your mentor and I totally had a situation where I was working for a church and I knew my time was up tell me I knew my time was up I had a d-day me and another one of my coworkers. We had D days like we're gonna leave on this day, and you know, like we we're not coming back. But I mean, the day was like next year, like you know what I mean, like. And we knew like years before. He's like, we gotta leave this, you know, like this is not good, or you know, we know God wants something else for us. And I'll never forget sitting down. A consultant came um, to talk to the staff and to meet with us one on one. And I told the the consultant, I said, I really, you know, like my time is up here. You know, I want to leave. Blah, blah, and he said to me. If you leave, he's gonna die. Mm. And I said to him in tears, So should I die so that he can live? Mm. And he said, Let's just figure out a way for you to stay. Like the church needs you. What are they gonna do in this area and this area and this area? And nobody else seemed to value me or think that that was true, but this consultant, you know, from what I could feel from mm-hmm. the place. So it's pretty lonely and empty. And just the fear of one fear, and this is gonna sound odd, just and I think it keeps a lot of us stuck just making the wrong decision.
3: Mm-hmm. I
1: had this connection that I believed, you know, like God could bless me if I was a good decision maker. You know? Um God could protect me if I was doing the perfect thing.
3: Yeah.
1: You know, God I could Forgive me if I wasn't making a mistake. It was just a horrible relationship with God, you know, like that God needs some perfection for me in order to do something on my behalf. Mm -hmm. But I was really like, you know, what happens if I make a mistake? What if I leave too early, not at the right time? What if I go to the wrong place? And what if they need me here for one more month and I leave in the wrong time? And we'd had like a PR scandal and, you know, I'd helped us out of that. And I just felt like, oh, they need me. And I really had to get to the point tell me where I'm like, you can't miss God. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's not how God works. You know, God works in our worst situations when we make the absolute wrong decisions. And so it was just the fear that if I made the decision to walk away, that somehow something would be off, about it and that my life would just be forever ruined you know like what if I never get back on track with my career what if I'm blackballed because you know I left this person who was good to me and I just really thought that it would be I don't want to say the end of me but professionally I felt like if I got this wrong it could be the end of me two months later I got fired two months later I got fired and what hurt me more is that I knew when to walk away. No one should have ever banned me from their life. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's how I felt. There was no there was no write up. There was no, you know, explanation of why. Like nothing. Almost ten years. There was no explanation of why, Tommy. There was no write up that they referred to. And I'm just like, you were miserable. Waiting for your perfect moment, and as soon as they didn't need you anymore, they didn't care what happened.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: They weren't somewhere wondering they weren't afraid of what happens if they let you go, but just sitting here afraid that they need you too much or that you might make the wrong decision and I think that happens in my life all the time. um I walked away from that saying, "I will never be in the position." Where someone has to show me the door when I already had an exit strategy. Yeah. And that it was just fear. And I thrived, like, super thrived. I made more than my salary in my first month out. Like, I just shouldn't have been there anymore. But you couldn't have told me that that was true. Like, you're talking about fear. And I think that happens with our career because none of us wanna be homeless if we don't <laughs> yeah. have to get. So, like,
2: we got like, bills.
1: Right. But that was definitely a relationship because I had a relationship to the church, like as the staff, Mm -hmm. you know, this is the same congregation that when my sister died, they brought me food for eight days for me and my family Mm -hmm. from my favorite restaurant. So this is not like, oh, let's just drop some roast over. It's like they knew me well enough to care. I would go to work and it would be like a $700 money order under my door. Um, when I moved there, I, I still, my family was still in Arizona and they offered, members offered to drive a U-Haul down and get my family. When I had to go to the doctor because something was happening, um, uh, with my foot, I told the deacon I wasn't going anymore because every time I left, they would send me a 300 something dollar bill. And he was like, I don't want to see you limp again. You send me the bill. And so I had a lot to lose, I thought. But guess what? Those relationships didn't go anywhere because those people actually loved me. So the fear that I had wasn't even
2: real. Well, it sounds like two things. One, the pattern of behavior that you learned from your mom, it carried over as as most of the patterns that we learn. You know, that stuff now becomes a part of our makeup. So Mm -hmm. the fear of even like, but what if they what if they need me? You know, like Mm -hmm. and then that seed that the consultant made, like he'll die. So you like, well, I don't want the man to die or the woman to die and, you know, the need to stay in that. But then the other piece is I don't think it's a coincidence that you shared that with the consultant and then the decision was made to remove you before you could leave.
1: Absolutely. They totally broke up with me before I could break up yeah,
2: with them. Yeah, they knew they yeah. knew the writing was on the wall and it and and what was so crazy about that if you know someone is a value and an asset to to what you're doing, why would you not try to figure out so let's figure out what's broken here. You know, yeah. and and I find like in toxic relationships where you talked about how they there has to be they have to be willing to work at it as well. But when you are a person who genuinely cares about other people, you'll go that extra mile and there will not be reciprocation on the other side of that. And so you're working to make it better. They're not meeting you, not even, you know, a a centimeter of the way. And so which means that now the relationship has gone, moved to a place where you're operating from a deficit because they're just taking, they're just taking. And there's nothing being deposited back into you. So it is a vicious cycle that if we don't recognize it, if we aren't willing to take action that is necessary for us to, you know, move away from relationships that no longer serve us well, it is to our detriment. Literally. Oh,
1: absolutely. And let me tell you, here's the, here's the craziest thing. I was so sad that night, right? I mean, sad. Like. I can't believe this. You know, it's embarrassing. Like, you know, dang, girl, you a pastor. How you getting fired? <laughs> you know, you don't pa- You don't staff at a church as a, a staff pastor, you get fired? Like, you're supposed to get fired from like HR, not the church. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I was just like sad. And I just, I woke up the next morning, Tommy, with so much peace. And so much like just random joy that I then realized how much I'd given up. Mm. I never cried over the job, but I did cry over the fact that I had given up so much that I didn't even realize what peace was supposed to feel like wow. and what joy was supposed to feel like. And i was willing to give all of that up just in case someone needed me. You know, like that was the most disappointing thing for me
3: mm-hmm.
1: that I was just willing to just like, just be miserable for someone else to be happy.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It was
2: the What advice would you um, give to someone who needs to push beyond the fear so that they are ultimately choosing themselves?
3: To always bet on yourself. Mm.
1: Always bet on yourself. I have this saying now that if the chips are down, I'm betting on Brianna every time.
3: Hmm.
1: so whatever it is that seems huge in my life whatever it, this huge monster because it's usually the boogie monster right it's something that we've never seen but we're like somehow deathly afraid of as children like nobody had an encounter with a boogeyman like nobody's ever seen the boogeyman they can't really tell you the height the weight anything and so I think that's what fear is but no matter how big it seems I'm going to bet on Brianna because the thing is I have learned to do is have a track record with God. Mm -hmm. Like I can recall, I was up against this. It seemed to overtake me and I still made it. I thought I couldn't live without this person, but here I am thriving. I thought this was going to be the absolute end of me. And it was absolutely the beginning of all things great. So you got to kind of have a track record. Of where you've been and how you've made it through and always bet on yourself. Cause that's the only thing you can count on. The only thing you can count on is you. And I know people be like, no, it's God, but God is in you.
2: Absolutely.
1: You know, you don't know how God operate. I don't know how God operates in my mailman. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know how God operates in the cashier. I do know how God is gonna operate in Brienne. And if the chips are down or something seems like it's going to overtake me, I can bet on Brianna. Brianna has been able to bounce back before. Brianna has resilience that she didn't know she had. Brianna now understands that the world indeed does not revolve around her, but God is always working things together for her good. You know, like I'm going to bet on Brianna. Like fear comes, and especially being a business owner, fear comes. But at the end of the day, When COVID started, I was like, dang, this is not maybe the time to be a business owner. (laughs) Then I thought to myself, would you rather work for a company and hope they can make the money to pay you a salary? Or would you rather be the one at the wheel knowing good and well that what you need, God will provide and you can work for? Mm -hmm. So I think you just have to believe that you're worth the bet. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That the stakes may be high, but the risk is low when you bet on yourself.
6: Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit Lisa.com slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart.
2: Yeah, listen, you ain't saying nothing but a word. I bet on me all day, every day, period. Like I am locked and loaded on Tommy Vincent because to your point, God is in me. You know, and when you know that if God is for you, who can be against you? And you know, no matter what happens in the course of the direction of you moving forward, because we ain't looking to the right and to the left no more. We ain't looking back. We moving forward. Right. That whatever happens in this forward direction that we're going in, God is using it all. And it is only his plan and purpose that's going to prosper for your life. So listen, I'm in it. Whatever whatever happens, I, I just know it's a part of the plan and I'm equipped. I have everything I need inside of me to get this thing done. So I bet on Tommy Vincent all day, every day. And if you are smart, you'll bet on me too. That's how I <laughs> no, feel. That's right.
1: That's how I feel. I have a question though. Yes. How long did it take you to get to that place? Were you always that kind of person or was there a moment that, you know, like a defining moment or like, did you just look back and be like, it's no reason for me not to.
2: So listen, this is how I came to this realization that I am my best bet. Okay. Because I successfully took every ounce of me and poured it into other people and I saw them be successful. And mm-hmm. I saw them win in life. And in that moment in my life where I recognized that I was totally depleted of all the life that was in me, because I have poured it out to everyone else, and now look at you tommy look, look at you, you just there there's nothing to show for you now, everybody else is thriving, everybody else is doing great, and i've they have God working and moving in them as well, so I'm not saying like you know I did that for them, I recognize I that. that God used me on their behalf
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it was in that moment when I realized that if I don't live, if I don't start living now, I'm going to die. And I'm worth the life that God put inside of me. Yeah. And I was, so I was 38. I'm now, how old am I, child? I don't know. I'm 46. <laughs> I'm 46.
1: I forget how old I am <laughs>
2: I don't some stuff I don't keep track of but anyhow. So <laughs> I I was 38 and I started going to counseling. Okay. And I knew that I had reached this point in my life that it was time to take action and the action needed to happen quickly. Okay. Because I was withering away. And so I needed to go to counseling because for who I was, every I was a leader already. And there were people who leaned on me to, you know, receive direction for their lives. So it wasn't like I had someone I could sit down with and say, hey, I'm here. This is where I am in my life. I didn't need a venting session. Yeah, I needed to sit down with somebody that was going to provide me with solutions and help give me direction and present me a plan of healing so I can move yeah. forward. And it was when I did that and I took the time, I went to counseling for two years. When I took the time to do that and I emerged on the other side, I said, okay, we not ever going back there. Yeah. You recognize yeah. who you are and, 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 and that's something you got to know who you are because if you don't know who you are, people will make you the version of who they desire for you to be.
1: Absolutely.
2: And so for me, I know who I am. And once like that was like my firm foundation, this is Tommy Vincent from there, all bets was off and on for me. And yeah. I just started moving forward in that. So to, to really specifically answer your question, I was 40 years old when I came to this space of I'm betting on me all day long And the confidence. It's not that I'm confident in who I am. I'm confident in, in God. It's his confidence that abides in me, yeah. and so, um, yeah, that I'm here this is this is where I am, and look, I'm not moving,
1: yeah, yeah, I feel you on that, I feel you on that i think I think I've been no, I know I was in a relationship that you know it have you ever been in a relationship that? Maybe you look back and say, "What happened?" You know, like <laughs> when did I leave this? <laughs> like, you know, like when was my exit and mm-hmm. when was this new Brianna's entrance?
3: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: hey, girl, when you get here, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and it really felt like that. Like, who invited you? You're like, how long are you supposed to be here? When do I get to come back in and you know, like, have my debut and and, and it was so crazy. Tommy, like we were in counseling one time. This is crazy. I probably should not even told this. And he told the counselor that when he knew he loved me, he immediately intended to take me away from what I was doing to make a life that was going to be comfortable for him. Like, <laughs> and I was like, huh? Like, so some of this, like feeling like, okay, if I do this, that's gonna impact us. Or if I do this, it'll make you feel like you're not good enough. You know? If I do this, that makes a comparison show. Up. Like, so so it wasn't in my head. Like this is a strategy. Mm-hmm. And I've learned this, and you can tell me what you think about this. Is not my show. Okay, I'm just <laughs> gonna say. <it. laughs>
2: Listen, we're having a conversation. You got the mic, I got the mic. Let's talk.
1: Okay, so. I have this new theory that in relationships, all relationships usually, well, many relationships, one person has a clear agenda, mm-hmm. goals that they're going to get out of this relationship, and one person comes in like Boo Boo, the fool, real pure, like me, <laughs> thinking that this is organic. We're just going to figure our way through it, you know. Like I mean, like platonic and romantic professional all of them but i'm starting to feel like people without relationship or relational agendas lose every time Mm -hmm. because they only get what happens to come along and then you have other people who have a clear goal and i was telling my friend like he was talking about a friendship and i said "I i don't know how you do this in a healthy way but it seems like agendaless people are always on the like painful end of a relationship. And and I just I'm really trying to figure out if it's bad to have an agenda now. I just don't know how you have like me and Tommy are gonna be friends. This this is how this is gonna impact me. I wouldn't even know where to start. I don't I don't assess people like that. Mm. You know, like I don't I don't size people up mm. in that type of way to say this is where I want to go with this friendship or I want to be their best friend or, you know what I mean? Like some of my friends, I don't even think their goal is to get anything from me. Like I want to travel with her. I want to do this. I, I don't think it's all, you know, so negative. Sometimes I think it's just like, I want her in my life because, you know, she has this to offer and this is her personality. And I need this kind of personality in my life or I want her in my life because she's serious about her relationship with God. She's an intercessor and I know she'll pray for me. And I'm just like, this is gonna be great. Let's see where it goes. (laughs) Whatever God has, I'm here for, you know? And I was like, yeah, you're losing out here. Like, I don't know. What do you have you do you feel like people like come into relationships in that way?
2: So I I definitely come into relationships examining fruit. Mm. So I am and you are the CEO of you. So you are a business, the business of Brianna. This is the business of Tommy Vincent, And so it is necessary to understand what you desire to get out of relationships. Now that's not specific to, you know, um, you know, I want, and I'm just saying this because we're using a terminology of a business, like you want to get money or you want to get, you know, value from that perspective. Mm-hmm. But I do examine relationships. I am sizing you up. So I'm, listen, if you in my life know that I sized you up, <laughs> I've examined your fruit. Yeah. I also am taking note of if you are just a taker mm-hmm. because I'm a giver. Yeah. So I know off the back that if you're, if you are in this relationship and you only take, then this is not a good fit for me. This relationship won't work well for me because I have a lot to offer and I give it willingly because I care deeply for people and I love hard. So I think it is really important for you to understand the nature of the people that you allow in your life. And the only way you'll be able to do that is if you size people up, not because of what they have or, um, you know, how much stuff and that kind of stuff. But the character of the person matters. So, there are things that should be on a list that matter to people. And that doesn't mean that people aren't able to grow and matriculate into something more than what they are in that moment. But what is the indicator that they're willing to do that? You got to have a little time, which, okay, I'll, I'll give people some time. But if there's no progress and we are not drawing the best out of one another, then this is not a relationship that serves me well. And maybe it's, I'm not serving them well. I'm not, like, it's not just about me. There's, when there's someone else in the relationship, it could be, I'm not a good fit for that person. And that's okay too.
1: I appreciate you saying that. I'm now at the place where I look and say, I'm really not good for you. Like, I know why you think I'm good for you. I know why it feels good right now, but this ain't good.
2: You know, (laughs) yeah, and that's love too. You know, when you care about someone enough to recognize that it's mutually not beneficial, that's that's love. And when you care about people, it's not about holding people hostage to you because of the benefit of that relationship. It has to work both ways. That's critical, so that. The growth is happening for everyone in the relationship. And if one person is not growing, then how can anyone see that as a healthy relationship? I have one more question for you um, that I want to ask. What advice would you give to your younger self about building healthy relationships and managing the people who you allow to take up space in your life?
1: Don't wait for anyone to prove what you know you've already seen in them. And about managing the people in my life, I would say I could do it on my own. Not that you want to live on an island, but you definitely want to know that you don't need any one personality. Mm -hmm. That God will send people, but you don't have to protect any one personality or secure any one personality in your life to feel like you can succeed. Mm -hmm. Because there have been times in my life where I just felt like, oh, I need this person. You know, like at this point in my life, I don't want to be without this person. And that's not real. Mm -hmm. God will always. If God says if if we don't praise God, then the rocks will cry out. If God can substitute a person with the rock, (laughs) please (laughs) know (laughs) Please know that God will send someone else into your life to do whatever it is that God has purposed. And there's no one personality that you need to succeed.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: That is a sage advice. Um, Some wisdom, a wisdom key for people listening. And listen, I know that sometimes in relationships, it's difficult for people to recognize the need to surrender relationships that are no longer serving them well. And so we stay yoked for an indefinite period of time. And I believe that this conversation um, gave evidence that there is great benefit to us being able to recognize when it is time to release relationships so that you can be healthy and well, and they also can be healthy and well. Is there any parting words that you would like to share with the listeners about unyoking from relationships, no matter how familiar,
3: but it is necessary for you to live? Yeah. Um,
1: so. When the Bible talks about being unequally yoked, we have to remember that these are animals who are, I guess, the easiest way to say chained together.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: So if they're not on the same level, that could be weight and height or a number of things. Then one is going to be in pain Mm. from the pull of the relationship Or they even risk losing the attachment and slipping away because they're unequally yoked. And so we need to remember that this is less about superficial feeling Mm -hmm. and more about a danger that you put yourself into. That there's something dangerous about being unequally yoked. And don't forget that sometimes, let's just say you're different height. Sometimes you may be the taller one and you're causing someone else to slip down out of it. And sometimes you may be the shorter one and there's a yank and there's a pull that seems to be causing you pain. So you can be on either end Mm -hmm. of the stick when it comes to being unequally yoked. And I always want people to remember that so that we remember that we have to check ourselves to make sure we're the healthy person to someone else. Yes. But I would definitely say that being unequally yoked sometimes seems like happiness or sadness, but usually it's life or death.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: It's usually much more impactful. Then we know when we're in it.
3: And usually people around you will give you a sign or some type of signal
1: that something is off and that something doesn't make sense. And if you're the kind of person who can't take anyone telling you anything, you have to be really comfortable to be able to evaluate yourself Mm -hmm. and take a fishbowl approach where you step outside of your situation to look in. And see if it's good. And see if it serves you well. And to do a heart check. How does your heart feel? What What do you feel like when you go to bed at night? Every time I've been in a bad relationship, I know because at night, I want to break up with them. Every night. <laughs> Every night I say, I'm breaking up with them. I'm not going to do this. I'm not doing it no more. Because, you know, you have that downtime, And in the morning, I'm like, well, you know, I feel a little refreshed. man. we can go on a little longer. You know, like, I can tell. I just know. But you know, I've never been in a situation that I was an equally yoked in in business, in professional relationship, in family relations, I've never been in a relationship that once I got out of it, I didn't realize was life and death. Because either it was taking something major away from me
3: or it was killing me softly. Yeah. So just just don't spend the time there. Don't spend
1: the time there. And if someone is listening, who feels like they spent too many years. I've been there.
3: Mm.
1: I've been in this relationship too many years. I've known this person all my life. You know, those kind of things we really get weird about time, right? I can't I can't give up this time. The only way you can redeem time from something that's been toxic is to not give it another moment. Mm. That's the only way you can redeem time is if you don't give it one more moment to waste your time, to be negative to you, to be a dangerous situation, to become toxic for you or abusive. The only way you redeem time is to not give it another moment. So you can redeem your time, but you got to walk away in order to do that. Mm,
2: That was, that was really, really good. Um, I thank you so much for your transparency in this conversation I thank you for the willingness to take your seat at the table. And if people desire to follow along with you and continue to see the wonderful work you're doing with the Millennial Cafe and in general, just to stay in contact with what you're doing, how can they get in touch with you and follow along on your journey?
1: Yeah, so uh, I run BMC, like MillennialCafe.com is my website. And then on social media, I'm R-E-V underscore B-R-I. Yeah. How the heck me. Oh, I'm even on Clubhouse. Are you on that yet, Tommy?
2: Listen, listen. I'm just trying to just focus on being great at one. Now, don't be throwing in no other ones.
1: You're going to be great on that, for real. (laughs) You can have combos and people from around the country and around the world will just listen to your conversation. Mm. You would love it. You would love it. You got your (laughs)
2: but thank you so much Brianna for joining me today at the table and giving the listeners food for their soul I know everybody is full and they're gonna be unyoking from some folks after this conversation letting them relationships go honey let them go thank you so much
1: thank you for having me
2: Special thanks to my guest, Brianna K. Parker. For more on Rev Brie, check out her website, irunbmc.com. And follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Rev underscore Brie. On Facebook at Brianna K. Parker or LinkedIn at Brianna Parker. Don't be shy, y'all. Let me know what you think. Apple listeners, don't forget to rate and write a review For stay a while. It means a lot. Don't wait until the next episode. Connect with me anytime on Instagram at Chef Tommy V, and that's Tommy with an I. Life happens at the table. I look forward to meeting you there.